Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Well, good morning again. Uh, for those that weren't here earlier, I'm Bruce Drugsma. I'm the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church, and we are uh, continuing a series on the Judges called uh, Case Studies in Chaos. And so we'll be looking in the book of Judges. So if you brought a Bible with you, uh, whether it's a um, Jesus Storybook Bible, maybe, uh, the, uh, your normal Bible, or maybe it's on your phone, I would encourage you to uh, turn there. We will be looking, looking there this morning. Uh, to those of you who are joining us online, I know if your family is anything like mine, there's a lot of sickness going around. There's a lot of travel that's been happening over the last few weeks. Chaos seems to reign this time of year. Uh, It seems to reign in every household uh, this time of year. So whatever chaos you're in, whether you're here in person or online, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we're going to look to Scripture this morning to find some guidance from God's Word. And we're going to be looking at the story of Deborah. We're going to be looking at the story of Deborah this morning. Um, And and we're going to be talking about uh, how God moves in broken places. How even though life seems to fall apart, even though life seems to not make sense sometimes, even though life seems to be broken, uh, God is still at work in those places. And so we're going to look at Israel at this time and the judges, and we have been looking at them. Last week we looked at Joshua. We're going to keep walking through this time in Israel's history. They are not a unified country at this point. As a country, they are not unified. They are scattered. They are very tribal. They care much more about their family, their perspective, their people than they do about what is going on in the broader community. And uh, it, it, it takes place kind of in an interesting time in world history as well. The time of the judges is kind of in this in-between spot between the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. Technology is changing rapidly, society is changing. The Bronze Age led to the rise of these empires like Egypt that allowed for stability and allowed for safety for massive amounts of people. And those empires, we saw Egypt starting to collapse as, as Israel leaves. Uh, we're, we're seeing them move as a, as a world into this Iron Age and into a time of upheaval and chaos, this in-between time. In fact, it's very parallel to what we would remember from our more modern history of the Dark Ages. This time in between right? In between two distinct periods. And there's chaos. And there's a splintering. And so it's it's kind of a different dark age. And and very similar to the, the dark age, we see Israel in chaos. And if you remember from last week, and kind of our thesis, if you will, throughout this whole series, is taken from, from Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so we see a country rising in this independence where the personal opinion of somebody matters more than anything. What I want to do, what I think, what I feel, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And maybe that hits a nerve with us, because I think we see in our country a rise in that independence arise in the belief that what is most important is my truth, my feelings. A parallel independence that can be selfish 
And what matters is not what is actual, what is true, but what is personal. And, and that's not to say that personal things, personal feelings, personal experiences aren't valid or important. They are. But anytime we as Christians especially elevate our own personal above God's truth, we will fall short. We will fail. We will miss. And we're going to see Israel time and again lift up what they want over top of what God has called them to. And they're going to suffer the consequences time and again. Like Israel, when we put our own personal small group identity over God's reality, we will fail and we will be humbled. And so this morning, we'll be looking at the story of Deborah from Judges chapter four and five. And before we do that, you may notice that I skipped a few chapters. Uh, we, we started in Judges one and two, and now we're jumping ahead. And we kind of covered one and two a little bit, but not all of it. And now we're jumping ahead to chapter four. We skipped some stories in between. And, and we're going to kind of do that a couple of times throughout just because uh, we don't have time to necessarily go into every story. I would encourage you to read those on your own. But you notice we skipped a couple of chapters. And, and in this tribal generation, as I called it last week, this generation that has moved in Israel to this independence inside the country, they came in, they conquered kind of the, the land promised to them, they followed God mostly, and now they've scattered and they've splintered into their own independence. And we're going to see this cycle of the judges again, this apostasy, this turning away from God. The consequences of that being falling into servitude to sin and other countries, leading to oppression, them turning in repentance and finding deliverance. And so we'll see this happening in various stages in various places. So while in chapter 3 we see people like Othniel and Ehud, and, and they're in different stages of that cycle of the judges, at the same time, we're going to see Deborah show up. In other words, Ehud might be in that time of repentance and deliverance, where they're living close to God, at the same time another tribe living an entirely segregated, disassociated reality is maybe in that apostasy, apostasy and servitude part of the cycle. And so they're going to be moving at different times. And so some of these stories overlay with each other where one tribe is experiencing one thing and another tribe is experiencing another. And so we're going to kind of look at these and know that another part of Israel might be experiencing something entirely different. But we're going to skip over the stories of Othniel, who is Caleb's younger brother. If you remember, Joshua and Caleb were the two good spies who came in. And Caleb's younger brother, Othniel, leads a tribe for a while. And Ehud, who encounters Eglon, and Shamar, who comes after Ehud. And so we're going to skip over those stories, but know that those are happening. And again, it all highlights the mystery of God at work in broken places. So we're going to jump into Judges 4 and 5, and we're going to look at this story of Deborah. And we're going to look for that same faithfulness of God in a broken place. As Deborah, as the judge of Israel, meets the first major threat of their period. So we're going to start reading in Judges chapter 4, the first seven verses. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth, Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. 
She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands." And so the first thing I think we should notice about Deborah here is that Deborah is both a prophet, a judge, and a leader. And really that's three things. I shouldn't have said both. She is all three. She's a prophet. She's a leader. She's a judge. And that's significant because she's actually the only one in the book of Judges who is a prophet and a judge. In fact, we'll see very little of the prophets in the book of Judges. That doesn't mean they're not there. That doesn't mean it's not happening But interestingly enough, Deborah is a prophet. The second and only other time in the book of Judges we will see a prophet is an anonymous prophet in the story of Gideon. And then we don't see them at all. Again, that doesn't mean they're not there, but I think it is significant that we don't see them in the rest of the book. And we start here, the first major threat to Israel, Deborah is a prophet, meaning she speaks for God. God is speaking through Deborah to the people. But she is more than just a prophet. She's a judge and she's a leader. But I would like to back up and notice how this passage starts. Again. Here we are, the first major threat to Israel. We've not really experienced a ton of the cycle of the judges. But already there's assumption that they're falling into the same pattern again. And how many of us can relate How many of us can relate to that feeling that here we go again? It's uh, New Year's, first week of the new year. A lot of people make New Year's resolutions. A lot of those New Year's resolutions do not last out of January. We turn over a new leaf. This year will be different. And yet we find ourselves saying, "Ah, again, again. One of the places that we see that most commonly in our culture right now is in fitness. How many people, you know, sign up for a new, I'm going to get a membership to, you know, Lifetime, to the YMCA, to Snap Fitness, whatever. And I'm going to go and I'm going to work out three days every week. And we go the first day and the second day we get out of bed going, oh, I'm not doing that ever again. Right? We do the same thing. And we do the same thing with sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not fall into that temptation again. I'm going I'm to set up a new boundary. I'm going to set up a new barrier. I'm going I'm to turn over a new leaf. And then we fall into it again and we go, oh, again. So before we get too hard on Israel for falling into this again, remember that we do the same thing. And Israel falls into this cycle time after time after time again. But also notice that it takes them 20 years this time. 20 years to come to a spot where they're ready to repent because you know the cycle. There's apostasy, there's servitude, and that's supposed to lead to repentance and deliverance. And in this case, it takes them 20 years. 20 years of living in fear. I think the passage is intentionally telling us about these 900 chariots for a reason. The people of Israel are afraid. That's a big, scary guy over there. And they forget that they have God on their side. And they're so focused on the chariots that they forget who is in their corner. 
And it takes them 20 years, 20 years of bondage. So where do we sit in bondage to our sin? Where are we so afraid of the consequences of coming out of our sin that instead of, instead of facing our sin and confronting it and repenting and dealing with it, we go, those chariots over there, those are scary. And so we just sit because it's easier to do nothing. And we sit in bondage because repentance takes initiative. And instead, I'll just, I'll just sit here. And maybe for you, it's 20 years literally. Maybe it's 20 years figuratively. The point is, Israel does not repent immediately. They sit there for 20 years. And then Deborah enters the scene. And like I said, unlike other prophets, she's also, or other, unlike other judges, she's also a prophet. And I think one of the things that is important in the book of Judges that we'll see is that God will use who God will use. And so God is using Deborah, which is another significant thing, if you haven't noticed, Deborah is female. That's not a common thing in Israel's history. That's not a spot that God seemed to work off in. Ehud, we skipped his story, but Ehud, was, it says, is left-handed, which to us might seem like no big deal. Back then, that was a big deal. In fact, left-handed people, and I, I mean no disrespect to left-handed people. I have a daughter who is left-handed. Uh, I love her very much, and I do not think this about her. But back then, left-handed people were incapable and incompetent is how they were viewed. You cannot be you are somehow a defect if you are left-handed. And God used Ehud, a left-handed person. And we'll see with Gideon, and we'll dig into this a little more next week, that Gideon is not from the right tribe. In fact, neither is Deborah. They're from inconsequential tribes, not the tribes that God has talked about. Because God will use who God will use despite our views. Despite who we think God should use, God is going to use who he will use. And so we see Deborah as a prophet. We also see her as the judge, the judge for Israel. And we see her as the leader. And so for us this morning, as we contemplate who she was, the question I want us to consider is, who are we listening to? God has a tendency to speak through who God will speak through. Who are we listening to? When God speaks through somebody that we don't think is qualified, that we don't think should be able to speak from somebody that we don't think is ready, are we still willing to listen? I appreciate that the people of Israel, despite all their sin, are still listening to Deborah the prophet. Now, they're not ready to repent yet, but they are still listening. Who are we not listening to that we should be? Who are the people that God has put in our life, that God is speaking through, that we are dismissing because... They don't meet our standards. Will we listen? Will we listen when the voice of the one calling seems to our perspective to be unqualified? Barak and the army of Israel could have dismissed Deborah for being a woman. Israel could have rejected her as a judge for being from the wrong tribe. When God speaks, will we listen? The Apostle Paul reminds us in the book of Timothy, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I notice that Paul doesn't tell Timothy to act his age. Hey, you're kind of young, just act your age. Notice also that Paul doesn't tell Timothy, you know, act older than you are. Pretend. He does tell him to be a man of character. But he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. 
who is God speaking through that we are not hearing because we have dismissed them as too young or too old or too whatever? Where is God moving? Who has God chosen that we have an opportunity to come alongside and support? I would like to say, and, and, and I will say, I appreciate that this church, when I came here, I know that for some of you, I'm a lot younger than you. For some of you, I'm a lot older than you. I fit nicely in the middle, it seems. Thank you to those of you who, though you are older, have looked to me as your pastor. Thank you to those who are younger, who have looked to me as your pastor. I continue to value hearing from those who are older as well as those who are younger. We need all of the voices to be heard in our church, to be unified. Who are we listening to? We need each other. And so Deborah, speaking for the Lord, and I would also like to call out, I love the fact that Deborah is sitting as judge under the palm of Deborah. I'm really tempted to rename a tree here at church something. I haven't come up with a great name yet, but maybe when you meet with me, I'll have you meet me under the pine of Bruce or something. I just, it just feels good. I love, I love the audacity of it. That's just, that's just great. Um, but she's, she's the judge. She's the leader. And she's the one speaking for the Lord. And she's the one who calls Barak and says, God has something for you to do. God has commanded. So Deborah calls him. And now we'll see our story continue in Judges chapter 4, verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Haber the Kenite had left, uh, excuse me, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hegoyim to the Kishon River, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord got ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword, and not a man was left. And so we're going to see a different perspective here on Deborah, not just as the judge, not just as the leader, not just as the prophet, but, but Deborah as the deliverer. And we spent a lot of time in that first point kind of setting up the story and, and understanding who Deborah is so that we could really uh, move a little quicker through these next couple. But Barak, notice, wimps out right away. Barak wimps out immediately. Why? Well, because we're going to see that, as we read it, we see that Barak's trust is not in the Lord. Deborah says, God has commanded you, Barak, to take 10,000 troops and go route Sisera. And what is Barak's response? I'll go if you, Deborah, go with me. Now, it's implied from the text in the next sentence where Deborah goes, yeah, I was planning on going. Essentially, yeah, 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 I was going to be there. But Barak also said what? He said, if you don't go, Deborah, I'm not going. 
Where is, where is Barak's trust here? It's not in the Lord, it's in Deborah. He's putting his trust not in God. God has commanded him to go. And he says, I'll only go, Deborah, if you go. And Deborah has clearly told him that God is the one in charge. Back in verse 6, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, she says. It's not a suggestion. Deborah is who Barak is following, not God. And again, before we get too critical of Barak, think about how we do the same thing. Think about all the stories we've heard. I'm reading a book right now uh, about shipwrecks in the Great Lakes and the number of people who in situations like that where they find themselves marooned or stranded or, or physically fearing for their survival, they say, God, if you rescue me, I'll become a priest. God, if you rescue me, I'll be a pastor. God, if you rescue me, I will. And, and don't we do the same thing? God, if you get me into the school I want, God, if you give me the job I want, God, if you give me the financial security I want, then. And that's what Barak is doing. I'll obey God, Deborah, if you go with me. God, if you do what I want, then I will obey. And this misplaced trust causes, causes Barak to lose out. God is going to rout Sisera one way or another. It's whether or not Barak is going to obey, whether or not Barak is going to be there. And now the reward for his lack of obedience will go to another, to a woman. But now we see him step into the role he's called to. He finally steps up. He finally summons these 10,000 people. And now we're, the, the perspective is going to shift a little bit. We're going to look at Sisera. Because Sisera is also misplacing his trust. Sisera, as the commander of the other armies, is not trusting in the Lord either. We, we don't expect him to. He's, he's a follower of another god. He's a, a, a leader of another country. We don't expect him to follow God. But notice that he also misplaces his trust. His trust is in his chariots. He shows up with his chariots. Where? In a river valley. I don't know if you've ever, anybody here driven a chariot? It's not a common implement of our life anymore, but chariots don't do well in river valleys. Just ask the Egyptians about how it went crossing the Red Sea. They tend to bog down in wet ground. Sisera, in our day and age, we would say, brought a knife to a gunfight. His trust was in his chariots. David in Psalm 20, verse 7, says it eloquently. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Where, where is our trust? Because we can fall into either temptation, either the temptation of Barak, God, if you will do what I want, then I will trust and obey. Or we can fall into the temptation of Sisera. I can do this myself. Oftentimes, I think that's how we try and handle sin. I'm going to fix this myself. Kind of this idea that somehow I have to get my sin under control before God will accept me. And that's not what we see. We see that God is a God who forgives when we repent. That we are to go to him first. And yet we sit there going, I'm going to figure this out on my own. We bring a knife to a gunfight. We look to the good luck charms of our life, of our world. We look to our own ability to try and make things right. 
I can get myself through. I don't need God. Or one way that I think we do this, that I know I do this, is I go, God, I want your leadership in my family, in my job, and in all these areas of my life, except over here. This thing that I like, that I know you don't want me to do anymore, I want to hold on to this on my own. So God, you can have every part of me, well, except over here. That I want to do, that I want to do on my own. Do we think we can muscle through on our own? Do we think that after we push through and try and do things on our own, that there won't be consequences where we, like Israel, are sitting there going, I'm going to do it my way, the way I want, because God, I know better than you in this area of my life. And then what do we do when our chariot gets stuck? God, where are you? God, if you'll save me again, then I'll be different. 2024 will be different. And JL enters our story. And I'm not going to read this section, JL. Uh, we read earlier about the Kenites. The Kenites are relatives of Moses, but not Israelites. And we see that there's this Kenite that shows up. And then kind of, there's just this throwaway comment, and then it moves on. And now we see JL enter the story, another woman. And JL is a Kenite. And we know from, if you were to keep reading the part that I'm kind of skipping over, that, that as a Kenite, they've actually aligned with another kingdom. But it's really more of an alliance of convenience. But for Sisera, Kenites are safe. Kenites are people that are not Israelites. Kenites are people that are aligned with them. We have a mutual alliance. And, and for Sisera, he forgets that Kenites are actually relatives of Israel. This is one of those spots where maybe blood is thicker than water. And so Sisera shows up at a tent of a Kenite, and Jael is home. And thinking it a safe place, he goes in, and Jael, uh, she encourages us. Oh, come on in. Here, have some milk to drink. Here, have a place to rest. Here, have a blanket. And as soon as he falls asleep, and this is a little graphic, she takes a tent peg and drives it through his temple, sticking him to the ground and killing him. Which tidbit of information is a normal thing for a woman to, to do, not, not to kill a person, but it was generally the woman's job at that time to set up the tent. In other words, she's using the implements that are familiar to her, which I think there's a marriage lesson or warning in there. I'm not sure which one. Uh, I'll let you husbands and wives work that out in your own marriage. But, but this is what she does. And so we pick up the story now in verse 22. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera. And Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Notice again who gets the glory here. God does. God was going to defeat Sisera one way or another. Barak missed out on the opportunity to be a part of it because his trust wasn't in the Lord. But God is the one who defeats. God is the one who causes Sisera's army to meet Israel in a valley with a river. God is the one who leads Sisera to go to Jael. God is the one who defeats Sisera. God's job is deliverance. And really, I misnamed this point intentionally. Deborah is not the deliverer. God is. 
God is always the one who delivers. As we go through judges, we will see time and again that it is not the judge who delivers. They get to be there, but it's God who's at work. And so finally this morning, we will end with chapter five, the first seven verses. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. And so this is where we're going to end this morning with this idea of Deborah, the mother of Israel, which is an interesting phrase, an interesting comment for her to make, to call herself. Why? Why does she call herself the mother of Israel? And I found this quote very helpful and insightful. Israel had forgotten that with their God behind and before them, they were unstoppable and had therefore hidden away as if they were people with no hope. The leaders didn't lead and the people didn't willingly offer themselves. This was the situation until Deborah came onto the scene and as a mother in Israel, that is one who will teach her children who God is and what it means to follow him, she brings new hope. Why is Deborah a mother in Israel? Because Deborah seeks to break the cycle of the judges. We talked about this last week that, that Joshua looks at Israel and says, you won't be able to do this on your own. You will fail. And you're gonna continue this pattern until somebody steps in and tries to break it. And we talked about how the generational change had happened. How did we get to this tribal generation? Because the previous generation did not talk about what God had done. It says they saw what God had done, they made a promise, and then the next generation grew up knowing not who God was or what he had done. Deborah is seeking to change that. As the mother of Israel, she's looking at the people and saying, do not forget what God has done here. She is doing her part. She is telling others what God has done. God delivered Israel, and Deborah is turning around and saying, do not forget that God moved. Do not forget to honor God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as Deuteronomy tells us. That is what she is doing. The question is, will the next generation listen? And that is up to them to decide. But that is the question before Israel. Are you going to listen? Are you going to remember what God has done? And that is the question before us. If we know God has moved, will we trust him to move again? Or will we, again, like Sisera and Barak, try and do it on our own or try and do it with qualifications? Or are we going to look and say, like our song talked about, even if I die, I will follow? I don't need to have all of the answers. I don't need to know what it's going to be like. It doesn't need to look like I want it to look. God, I will follow you because I know what you have done. Deborah teaches through this song to the next generation what God has done. She seeks to bring about a change in Israel, and it works for a time. Verse 31, 
of chapter five ends with the phrase, then the land had peace for 40 years. It is still on that next generation to take the lessons from Deborah, the mother of Israel, to heart. And so our final reminder from Deborah is to share what God has done. Our call as parents, both literal and spiritual parents of the next generation is to share what God has done to put out there the way God has moved in our lives and to call them to trust in the Lord even if it doesn't make sense. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for how you've been at work. Lord, as we look back and see how you have worked in 2023 and as we look forward to the ways you will work in 2024, God, may we trust God, may we trust without qualifications, not assuming we can do it on our own, God, but also not assuming that you'll do it to our standard. God, help us to be like Deborah. God, to see where you are moving and to act. And Lord, help us also to be like Deborah, to share what you have done with those around us. God, help us to hear your voice. God, help us to celebrate what you have done. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. And I think we are going to respond this morning in a very appropriate way. As we talk about what God has done, we are going to move into a time of communion. What better way to celebrate what God has done than to remember what God did on the cross? Paying the penalty for our sins, dying in our place, doing for us something that we are completely incapable of doing on our own. And so I'm, I'm going to ask the elders to make their way forward as we take this time of communion. And please note that uh, if you are visiting with us, our communion table is open to anyone here who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If that is you, please join us. Join us in celebrating what God has done. If that's not you, or you're in a spot where you just don't feel like this morning you are prepared to take communion, that's fine. Please let the elements pass. We won't judge you for that. But we are going to enter into that time of remembering what God has done and celebrating his death and resurrection on our behalf. One last thing, sorry. Uh, please hold the elements and we will partake of them together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. God, we thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And as we remember your broken body, Lord, we remember how you paid the penalty for our sins. That you put your, your sacrifice, God, on the cross so that we could be reconciled with you. Lord, we thank you for that and we celebrate that this morning. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us take it together. And as we end communion this morning, let's end by saying together the words of our Lord's prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I am uh, going to invite you to have a seat, actually. Um, we have quite a few things as we talk about celebrating what God has done in 2023 and looking forward to what God is going to do and ways that we can come alongside of it. There's a lot of things going on here in the coming weeks that I want to make sure that we are aware of. One, what God has done in 2023. Thank you as a church for your generosity to what God has done. Um, you've, you have continued to give financially of your time, of your resources to support that. Um, those giving statements uh, if you gave money, will be coming out. Alicia has some of them in the back this morning. Others, uh, those who gave online specifically, were waiting for some things to clear, and then those will be released. But thank you. That is a way that we can celebrate what God has done. God has provided for this church. And God will continue to provide for this church as we look forward to the future. Another thing is God worked a lot through our kids and youth programs and through our Wednesday family nights, which start up again in 2024. So I'd encourage you to come back for those. We have a new Gather to Grow group starting up. Um, Alicia is leading one on love and loss, and that begins this week. I would encourage you, if that's something that you've experienced recently, um, the loss of somebody, this is a way to celebrate what God has done and look forward to how God is going to continue to move in, in, a, in a time of grief and a time of hurt. So I'd encourage you to, to look for those and to get involved in that. Um, lastly, as far as celebrating what God has done and what God is going to do, uh, we do have our semi-annual business meeting coming up later this month in January. We'll take a lot of time in that to look back and celebrate what God has done, but we're going to do some looking forward. We do have a couple of significant things for members. Anybody is welcome to come to the meeting, but members for you to vote on, we do have a couple of significant things. One thing we're celebrating, we have some people applying for membership. And we'll, we're still waiting for a couple of those applications to come in, and then we'll release their names to the congregation so that if you don't know them, you can get to know them. Uh, if you do know them, you can talk to them about that and celebrate that as we get ready to vote to, to include them in our membership roster and our church family. Another thing we're going to be voting on is as I look back at 2023, one of the highlights for me, we had Luke as a part-time uh, youth pastor and then as a full-time intern here in January, he's back at school. Um, he's moving back to a part-time status. He's been our youth ministry director for a couple of years. Um, we're going to ask you as a church to consider calling him to be our youth pastor to extend at that meeting an official call. He will remain part-time through June until he graduates, with the idea being that we call him now, and then we trust God to move, and we hope to have the resources, and we plan to have the resources to bring him on full-time starting in June, because God is doing something in our kids and youth program, and we want to come alongside that. So that's something else. We're going to continue to talk about that. If you have questions on how we're going to do that or why, um, I would encourage you to talk to me or one of the elders. But those are some significant things that God has done, and we look forward to what God is going to do, and we want to come alongside that and celebrate that. And I, I have kids in the youth program. I have kids coming up into the youth program. Um, I have sure appreciated over the last year seeing what Luke has done in that program and with those students and 
And I think we wanna, we wanna have that be a strength of our church. And so we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about that as well at that meeting and voting on that. There, those are kind of the big things. One last little thing. This is kind of more an announcement and less of a celebration of what God has done and what God is doing. But one way you can talk about those things, um, the next three months, I'm gonna just, for those of you who live in town or work in town or are just available over lunchtime and want to come to town, uh, for the next three months, I'm just gonna have some lunch spots where I'm gonna go sit and anybody's welcome to come and join me. You can come just to have lunch. You can come to talk about these things. Uh, I'd be willing to answer questions there. Uh, but you're willing to come. The first one is this Wednesday at noon at the Loose Line. Uh, we'll do another one in uh, February at another location and one in March at a third location. I don't remember the exact order. One of those is gonna be here at church so you can bring a sack lunch. If you're a person who does not want to spend the money or whatever to go out, I do wanna still make those opportunities just where we can dialogue and have conversation and get to know each other. So that's a great opportunity for that. All right, I am sorry for the mass amounts of things, but I do think that it's significant what God is doing and we want to... <laughs> it is a lot though, and I appreciate you taking the time. So we will end here with uh, a reading from Jude. Jude verses 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.